Good evening, everyone. You're listening to AK Health and Fitness. The show is about mental fitness, physical health, and success in the world of business. Uh, I'm your host, Ali Khan, after the boxer, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, today, I'm not going to be talking about any specific topic. I actually have my guest, Farhan Sadiq, with me today. Uh, first of all, who's Farhan Sadiq? Uh, for, uh, me and Farhan, we go way back. We went to the same high school together. He's an international student originally from Lahore, Pakistan, like me. He came to the U.S. and went to McAllister College, which is also a liberal arts college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Studied economics as a major, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but he wanted to go into finance. I'm guessing they didn't offer a finance major. Liberal arts college don't uh, usually offer that. Uh, did a number of internships in the financial services industry, including working with a retail financial advisor, Fortune 500 company. Uh, as a business development intern, investment banking, summer analyst at TD Securities, leveraged finance group in New York. That's a mouthful. And now as an analyst at CMG Capital Markets Gateway in Chicago. He's working at the Capital Markets Gateway company in Chicago after graduating from college. And I'll get to that in a minute as well, because I'm, I'm sure you're wondering, because I was. He managed to get a job during COVID-19 as an international student. Um, first things first, Farhan, tell me this. You say you majored in economics, but you didn't really major in economics, right? Because that's not a STEM major. You played it, uh, you had a high IQ play right there because you're a STEM major while being an economics student. So tell me about that. Yeah, first of all, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And that's a really good introduction. And about my major, yeah, you're right. It was not economics per se, but it was econometrics. But I'd say it was more of happenstance than me really, you know, making that decision. So what happened is a couple of years back, some colleges across the U.S. Uh, decided that the economics major that they offered had a big quantitative part to it. And in order to compensate for, or in order to encapsulate that, they changed, they applied, uh, they applied to the relevant authorities and changed the economics major to econometrics. Lo and behold, that was really good for me and a bunch of people who graduated a year before me and uh, after me. So now we get to have those additional two years and have uh, a STEM major under our belt as opposed to just getting one year in OPT. It's interesting, McAllister offers that. Another, and the reason for I brought that up is because I go to Franklin and Marshall College. They don't offer an econom, econom, econometrics major. They offer economics, but they're uh, not econometrics. Uh, do you know of any other colleges where people like you, who want to go into finance, but they also want to benefit from a STEM major? Do you know of any other colleges that offer an economic econometrics major yeah from the top of my head i know a couple of colleges that are liberal art colleges as well yeah you're right to point out that they don't offer uh, as many or they don't offer a finance major but there are a few of them that do i know lafayette college uh, my friend over there he he told me that they have a financial math major so it's a mix of both finance and math i know knox does as well which is in illinois so I know there are a few handful of liberal arts colleges which may not offer a finance major per se but they do offer a financial math major or their economics has been changed to econometrics uh, technically, but they might still call it e economics. So anybody who's looking to get into finance, and especially as an international student, it's worthwhile to take a look at it and see what the designation is, whether it's econometrics or whether it's economics, but because that may affect whether it's a STEM major or not, and can be uh, a major thing going forward when you're looking for jobs and so forth. Uh, I say that because I myself, uh, I'm, I'm a business major, but I also considered economics. And I found out the hard way, I, had to, I was midway through that when I found out that it's not a STEM major. 
I have to accept that because the only alternative was to take a science major, and I don't want to do science. Uh, but yeah, those are those aren't STEM majors, but apparently econometrics is, which is which is a great thing for any international students out there who are, who are recently coming to college or they're starting out stuff like that. Even if you're not a an international student, maybe. Uh, so the second thing there is Farhan, you you did econometrics, but you want to go into finance. You've been investing in the market for a while. I myself struggled to figure out uh, what I wanted to do. I had to experiment a lot. So how did you come to that realization that this is what I want to do, finance or investing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I think I'll step back and say the reason why I came to a liberal arts college was to get that broad exposure early on and uh, delve my toes in a number of different things. And from there, really try to understand, hey, this is the thing that really ticks me and you know this really works for me. And for that, I found it within my economics major. Those were the business or the finance courses that I found. Uh, normally, there are a number of courses that are geared more towards a PhD e-contract. Econ e those didn't really sit well. I, I wasn't a big fan of them as much as I was of, say, financial accounting, managerial accounting, securities analysis, investment banking. So taking those courses really helped me get a get a first glimpse into into these areas and building onto that i knew if i wanted to do something the best way would have been to ask people who were already doing it so i made it a decision uh, early on my sophomore year to reach out to people which were from my high school from my college many years ahead of me and really ask them what it was that they were doing how did they think about it in their sophomore year junior year Granted, it's a really it was really early on for me to start out uh, in my sophomore year, but I think really gave me a head start in formalizing my approach, understanding things early on. And I recommend to anybody, it might get seem intimidating early on to reach out to people. You say you don't know what to talk about and so forth. I can talk about networking later on too. But the general idea was to reach out to people, take classes, and do my uh, extra research on the side. I'll go online, look at the different resources available, and try to. Uh, narrow my approach from there. So uh, you said that you reached out to different people, right? And then you learned from them about what they did, how they, they do it, their experiences and stuff like that. That's a great point. You want to reach out and make connections. But here's the thing, because I've been reaching out as well, and, and I was wondering, how do you, how did you know who to reach out to? So there's many different people. How do you find the right person? Yeah, I'd say between now and in my sophomore year, I've gotten really comfortable talking to people about you know networking about networking with them talking about finance and so forth and the way i i'd say people should go about it is there are different in your connection there are a number of people you, you if you think about it consciously you'll find a number of people that you know it could even be your family members it could be people who are a year ahead of you a couple years ahead of you even 10 years ahead of you people from your high school people maybe you know through somebody so i'd say starting off just reach out to people you're most comfortable with have those early conversations and once you have those you'll get as time goes by, you'll get more and more comfortable and you'll, you'll just find a blueprint. Hey, this works best for me. This is a, or yeah, these things work best for me. These are the things I'm, I, I can speak candidly about. And these are the people who really help me. And I think it's an iterative, an iterative process. You talk once, you talk twice. As as much as you do, you just, it just becomes muscle memory after a certain point. So start off with more people you know and then try to branch out from there. So what's your success rate been? Because, uh, you know, the general saying, you reach out to 100 people, five respond. So what's your success rate been with uh, reaching out to people with connections? 
Yeah, I'd say the, sec uh, the, the, the response has been pretty segmented. If I reach out to people from my high school, I think it's more, or my, or from a college or college, it's a higher chance that they would get back to me because they've been in my shoes a year, years, years from uh, years back. But if I reach out to somebody cold, people I don't know or they don't know me, and there's little to no connection or no mutual uh, things in the middle, I think it gets harder and the success rate would be much lower. But I think it comes to the territory. You need to realize where your sweet spot can be. You know the things maybe maybe if outside of classes you do something maybe you do mock trial maybe you play a certain sport it's it's always helpful to reach out to people where you have a mutual interest and the hit rate just uh, goes up substantially there i agree with that I've, I've had the same experience especially when you reach out to people over social media linkedin for example it has a good interface in that it tells you who your connections are first second third connections and I've actually had this experience where when I reach out to a first connection, I have a greater success rate than the second one. And then a more success rate than uh, success, a higher success rate, success rate with the second connection as opposed to the third one. So I can, I can attest to that as well. Personally, uh, I actually sat down one day and I decided to make note of all the, 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 the people that I reached out to within a month's time, actually in the past month. And I think I reached out to 50. And out of those, 10 responded. And out of the 10, about eight were first connections. Um, a couple of them that responded, responded were also actually second connections. Uh, they were Farhan's connections and I reached out to them as well. So I've had a similar experience. It comes with the territory, right? Rejection is a part of the game. You have to learn to accept that if you want to actually reach out and talk to people. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And I think to that, I would add, you don't need those 50 good connections. All you need is five people, three people, maybe one person who you really have a good rapport with, who really yeah. vouch for you, who will really act as a mentor for you. So yeah, it is a numbers game in terms of, of you know reaching out to people. But then if you click with somebody, you just need a couple people and you're good you're set to you're you're good to go. But see the thing is sometimes you need to reach out to those fifty people to get to that one person because they might be the fiftieth or the forty ninth or the forty fifth. Yeah. Might not be the first one. Yeah, and it can get a, a bit demoralizing in the beginning. You're reaching out to people, it's not going well. Uh, you know, the hit rate's low, but as you said, consistency is key. You keep going on, and it could be the 50th person that could turn out to well be your, you know, your major uh, connection that could help you land your next gig or just be a really good mentor for you. So tell me this, Farhan. You mentioned in your resume that you also did internships while you were at McAllister College as an international student. So for other international students or even just students out there in general that are listening to this podcast. Did the inter internships that you get, were those, did you get them through your connections or did you apply to them through this, uh, an internet search, Blastor? How did you go about that? Did your connections play a role in that? Yeah, there's a good saying that I really like. It's, it's uh, something like there are many bridges to Manhattan. So it's, I'd uh -huh. that by, replicate that by saying there are many ways to, there are many ways of getting a job. And for me, what worked for me may not work for everybody, but I think there's a lot of uh, value in Again, networking, reaching out to people. There are many different approaches that I tried. One was obviously the straightforward approach, going online, looking at postings, applying over there, and uh, going over LinkedIn, going over Glassdoor, all these uh, these different websites, Indeed.com and so forth, and applying for roles. What I found more relevant, and you know, the hit rate, as you said, uh, the word you use, hit rate, I think it was higher. When I talked to people who were a year or two years ahead of me and who had been through the process just recently, they have the most recent information. They're most willing to help just, be, just by virtue of having done that so recently. So how I went about doing, I think I did like four or five internships in my four years in McAllister. And I'd say all of them came through networking and talking to people. My freshman year, I talked to a good senior who was 
three years ahead of me and he did the he told me about this program explore which uh he did in his freshman year and he told me about the recruitment process what i could expect and so forth and that really helped me land my first opportunity and lo and behold every other opportunity i got after that was by talking to people by first connection second connection and you know life works in mysterious ways people i wasn't expecting to get anything out of the conversation i just clicked with them so well and one thing next to, uh, led to another and i ended up with an internship on wall street as well so, so you never know how these conversations can go and talking about internships in wall street uh, let's get to jobs uh, you just graduated from macalester college um, um, in 2020 during the era of covid-19 so uh, how do you actually do it how did you land a job after graduating during covid-19 given that there's record rates of unemployment and you're an international student so what was the process there yeah actually i thought it was going to be smoother obviously until covid hit so when i interned on td securities last year the normal path is that you get an offer and you get a full time offer once you're done with the summer and i thought my senior year was going to be an easy breeze but it didn't work out that way i ended up not getting an offer and i was back to the drawing board and i had to work through getting an offer my senior year and the way i went about that is i maintained an excel file where i kept a tab of everybody i reached out to all the conversations i was having uh, con- consistently reaching out to them telling them uh, giving them updates of what i was doing and really asking them how should how do they think i should position myself in this time I actually from Minneapolis made a trip to Chicago. I drove to Chicago, set up 10 12 meetings right before COVID. And one of those meetings was with a person at CMG who I just met and you know expressed my interest that I did in investment banking over the summer. This is my skill set. This is what I'm looking to do. And that the the conversation wasn't really focused on getting a job or asking for a job or anything, but it was just, you know, putting myself out there and getting to know more people. And a couple of weeks after that when COVID hit and you know COVID uh, the lockdown hit because of COVID, I was actually in touch with a number of different investment banks in New York as well as in Chicago but things were so uncertain at that point that they decided that they had to shut hiring and they weren't looking to hire any any more people they just wanted to hold off and being an international student I know I was under a time clock I needed to get it done within 90 days of graduating but I didn't want to wait after graduating to find a job so I was again reaching out to people and within banking I saw there were certain areas that were hiring for example restructuring sales and trading so these were some places even the banking are an investment grade debt even though banking as a whole and recruiting as a whole had stopped there were certain areas that were that were that were still hiring so to answer your question i think it was being strategic having conversations with people and you know it was luck as well because as after my meeting with the person in chicago and at cmg two three weeks later he reached out to me and said hey we think there's a, there can be a mutual there's some mutual interest we have this position we want to create a position for you uh, we think your skill set can be suited to our our our, our company we're growing we like what you've done in the past so and i took it from there so that conversation which wasn't really focused on getting a job that ended up me that ended up in me getting a job just because i took that conversation i sat down with that person and had tea with them and you know spoke about myself and what i wanted to do this job in chicago was that based on a mutual connection at the end of the day or was that you finding out about it through uh, the internet or just looking up on linkedin yeah so that was my primary contact over there was a mccallister alum from 2010 who had done investment banking but now had moved on to make his own firm called cmg and i can speak about the firm later so the guy didn't do investment banking himself but 
given the fact that he had done it for 10 years, I thought, hey, he's done it for a while. He'd be a good resource to reach out to. So I could have just said, hey, he's not done, he's not doing banking. He can't help me in banking. So and not to take the conversation. But I did it. And lo and behold, it worked out. Makes sense. And you said you drove to Chicago not knowing whether you would get the job. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've been... Five minutes for that. Yeah, I've been hustling. I've made a couple of trips to New York. I flew to New York, got an Airbnb in my sophomore and junior year just to, you know, meet people, get in front of them. Because obviously phone calls help, but once you're in front of somebody, it just gives them an indication as well. Hey, this person's really serious. He's just making their, he or she's making the trip to New York or Chicago and, you know, really hustling and putting it. And honestly, some people outrightly said it to me. Hey, you're hustling and that really speaks to us as well. So we know you're serious and they want to help out as well. Now, tell me this, when you were looking for jobs during COVID-19, you knowing that you have like a 90-day buffer period before you have to go back if you, if you don't get a job, uh, COVID-19 hitting and you're also realizing during the senior year, especially the second half during the, 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 the spring semester of senior year, that uh, it's not going to be as simple as you thought it was initially because you had internships and everything lined up. Uh, could you run me through the emotional experience at that point in time? How was the mental experience when you were uh, when you realized that this is not going to be as simple as energy thought it was going to be did you feel stressed how did you respond to that situation i i asked this because uh, i've had so many people myself included sometimes i i, I felt stressed or anxious i was applying for internships as well and you really need to be able to navigate that right to be able to actually get results you can't react you have to respond so so what was your emotional experience going into it yeah it was very stressful obviously you know uh being an international, looking for jobs, people saying they're not hiring on top of that, COVID hitting, and then some people you have good conversations with, they're saying, oh, we don't sponsor. So all those roadblocks do get to you at times. But I think the key is to continue to stay consistent and also not take things personally. I think I got bogged down early on. I started when somebody didn't take the call or weren't as helpful as I would expect or I hoped them to be. It wasn't it wasn't personal. I realized it shouldn't be personal because they're busy. They've got a lot to deal with. So just understanding it's nothing personal. But at the same time, I'd say just give yourself some room. I know there was a, about a two weeks period where I was so stressed and I was I said, I'm like I was done with it. And I just stopped reading other people, stopped applying online. And I just took those two weeks to reset and, you know, and just take some time off. So I think it's important to take some time off. Also, Talk to your friends, talk to close, uh, talk to your loved ones, talk to people close to you and get that support from them because it is time like these that you need them the most and share share with them what you're going through. And then it really helps you, you know, get perspective. Maybe there's angles you aren't thinking about. Maybe there are things that you're not considering. So talking to people really helps. And but at the, at the end of the day, also just get back to it, stay consistent and things work out. Now that's a great point. A, that you talked to your loved you reached out to friends, you took a step back, you relaxed. Because here's the thing, anybody and everybody that became successful, even when they say that they did it by themselves, they never really did. You need people around you, you need that support system to be able to achieve success. Take anyone, are you going to realize they probably had someone with them, even if they didn't realize that they did, be it, a, be it a, an employer, a professor, a girlfriend, a husband, spouse, whatever, doesn't matter. That's a great point. So talk to your loved ones, reach out, uh, express your feelings, your concerns, your stresses. Maybe they can point you in the next opportunity. And B, you said there, that there were two weeks during that point in time when you didn't apply, when you took a step back, you felt like you were almost done with it, but you weren't. How did you, how did you pull yourself out of that? How did you get back to applying and staying consistent? From yeah, that I think, yeah, I think it was 
sort of innate. I knew I just had to pick myself up. And as time went by, as you know, as I mentally reset, I had the energy at the drive and the motivation to get at it again. Those two weeks, I, I, I can see it was hard. I wasn't doing it. And I was getting, I was being hard on myself. Why am I not, you know, why are these, why am I wasting these two weeks? When in retrospect, those two weeks really helped me, you know, uh, reset myself. And it was just a matter of when I did that, I, my motivation picked up itself, my drive picked up itself. So to anybody listening, I'd recommend just to give yourself some time, whatever, it doesn't have to be two weeks, it could be one week, it could be three weeks, depending on whatever you're, you know, how everybody's different. But realizing that there's a lot of value in just sitting back, relaxing, and and taking things easily as well. And at this point in time, now that you have your job, you've, you've uh, been through that experience, you're on cloud nine, uh, you're like sitting back there, sipping a cup of coffee, laughing while everyone else is getting like laid off. Uh, you're also working from home at this point in time. So tell me this, how's that experience been? Are you still in Minnesota, even though you're working in Chicago, or have you gone to Chicago? How's that yeah. experience been? Yeah, I was definitely have been lucky in you know getting a gig at this point. I mean, uh, definitely want to make myself available to to anybody who wants help. And having said that, in terms of my job, yeah, I've been working from home. It's been it's been quite different than what I I would have expected. Anybody would have expected six months or seven months from now. Uh, it's been really interesting, you know, getting to know people virtually. My supervisor, I stay in touch with him. I have three to four calls with him, and all the learnings are done over the phone, over Zoom. Zoom's a, now the thing, so I get on Zoom with him every couple of hours. He gives me some work, and I guess I just respond back. And if there's any learning that needs to be done together, we just go over, uh, we share the screen, and you know, go over stuff together. So generally, it's been a new novel experience, but hopefully, you know, as time goes by and things get better, we, we can uh, see ourselves back in offices again. So which do you prefer? You've, you had internships, you've actually worked on the job, like you've been in person and uh, you, uh, you're working from home right now, right? But before that, you were, had internships and stuff like during summers when COVID wasn't there. So which one do you prefer? Would you rather be there or is working from home your new thing? <laughs> Yeah, honestly, the pros and cons to both of them. As for now, I'd say, I mean, working from home is fun. You know, it's, you know, you need, you don't need to make the commute. You're you're at home. You can make a quick meal. And yeah, don't tell my employer I said that. Make a quick meal, have that while, while at work. And yeah. Just have the flexibility. Uh, but I think long term, I I think the collaboration that goes in while, you know, being in the office, the culture, you know, having been together, obviously, if, if future health protocols allow that, I'd I prefer, you know, people are back in the office collaborating and, you know, sharing ideas, being in the same space, I think gives more sense of community and togetherness and, you know, you're in it for a single mission. I think I'd, rec- I, I'd prefer that in the long run, but as of now, working from home does seem, you know, a good, fun alternative. Like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nothing beats right now waking up at 7.25 a.m. for your job at 7.30 because you're working from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've been guilty of that as well. Yeah, I've, I've been in the same position because I, I go to a liberal arts college, right? I have my class like in the building next to me. My my, my dorm's in the building next to me. I have the class. Uh, I had this class at 8 a.m. and I woke up this one time. I'm, more than one talk to I hope my professor is in listening to this. I, I woke up at 7.55 and I got to class. Like I just put on my clothes, uh, uh, put some mouthwash in, went to the sink and then ran to class right away. So I've been in that position as well. But I have to say, I agree with that, though. In the long term, nothing beats the culture. 
the learning, the experience that you get by being in person with the clients and the supervisors and everyone else. Um, yeah, but I agree with that too. Now, um, the the other thing is, Farhan, now that we have the job and, and your experience in McAllister and econometrics aside, you're also an investor. You're not just pursuing investment banking and a career in finance. Uh, uh, a capital markets, right? You work in capital markets. So uh, you're also an investor. You've been investing in the market yourself. Uh, how long have you been doing that? And uh, what do you recommend to other college students that might be working on a budget? You also had a job on campus. So students that might be working on a budget, but they want to invest, they're interested in finance. How did you go about it and what do you recommend? Yeah, so, so my, my interest or, you know, my first step into investing was getting into McAllister Investment Group and a lot of liberal art colleges they also have an investment group finance club of, of one sort so mine was my freshman year I went with my friend I was like hey let's go this sounds interesting let's go over there and I remember being there when the president or the co the co-chair of the club was you know giving his presentation telling us about it I was like man this is also interesting and how does he even know all of this within four years I can never imagine myself you know knowing all of this in such a short amount, uh, amount of time but it's funny because my friend was told me that, you know, you if you're interested, if you know, if you continue to attend this meeting, then, you know, read up and all that, you, you'll you be fine. I'm sure you can do this as well. And it's funny, fast over three years, I was the co-chair of the club as well. So my 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 first entry into investing was through that school or McAllister Investment Group. Uh, there were every Thursday we had a meeting. We talked about the stock market. We talked about what what happened in what happened in the capital markets? Any news? How to go about investing? Valuation? All the different aspects of it. And on the side, I was reading. I started investing myself personally in 2017. I made a Robinhood account. I started off with $300 from my saving from my internship as well as from my school. And my first share was Target. I remember pitching it to my friends uh, on on the on the in the cafeteria. And I wasn't able to convince them, but I held on to the stock, and it went up about. The 118, 19 dollars is like a good first stock. I wouldn't say I've been that lucky in my subsequent stocks, but uh -huh. that was really my 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 first stock and my entry into investing, and I've been investing now for three years. Yep, yep, yep. And and uh, to that end, right? Because you also had a job on campus and you invested three hundred dollars. A lot of people that are a lot of my friends when they were looking to get into investing, or when I told them I wanted to invest, argued that. You just can't do that as a broke college student. It's for the rich, uh, stuff like that. You don't have the money. You're gonna get it. Where are you gonna get the money and stuff like that? So, so tell me this. You yourself, right? What would you recommend to other college students in your position when they're starting out investing? What would you do differently going back? Yeah, I'd say to that. I would say there's also the option of paper investing. You don't need to really invest the money because obviously at this point, even if I invested $300, the returns aren't going to make or break my life, right? It's just, I think the focus at this point should be if you can start small, start small. Even if you can't start with any capital, just just focus on the process. Look at the different aspects that go into investing. Try to learn the process. Try to learn the different areas of investing as opposed to really focusing on the results. I think at this point, the focus should be looking at the different areas of investing, how to go about the different valuation techniques, different uh, methods of investments. And then as time goes on, as your savings increases and so forth, now that you've, you may have done your groundwork in those three, four years, then when you put your capital into use, you'd be a much better use of your capital as opposed to starting four, five, seven, ten 10 years from now and having to do that groundwork then. So in a nutshell, I think focus on the process, not on the results at this point. 
because honestly, the $300, even if it was turned into $600, wasn't going to make or break my life, right? So focus on the process, not the result at this point. Uh, two points there. First of all, I really like the point that focus on the process and learn as much as you can because this is the time to do it, especially uh, why don't you make the fact that you don't have a lot of money or strength, right? Because that means that you can take more risk. You can learn about fixed income. You can learn about stocks, futures, options. Though I would recommend that college students, people starting out, stay away from options and futures. That's very risky stuff, right? Uh, short selling. But when you have only $10 to invest in the market, if you invest that, and even if you lose it, you can always make it again the other day, the next day, but you're going to learn a lot more invaluable experience. And then you can apply that to when you make it big, like a big, when you, when you become a big time investor or, or a businessman, or when you get a job and you have $50,000 that you're looking to invest in the market like 10 years from now on. So I agree with that. That's a great point. But you also mentioned something, paper investing. Uh, what's paper investing? Like, is that a term in investing or finance? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so what I mean is there's certain websites online that you can have these paper portfolios. You don't actually own those securities, but in a way you can put in an order for any stock today, Levi at $12.60 and track it for six months and then it can give you a result six months from now as if you had actually invested in that portfolio. So you can back, yeah, you can backtrack and see how you did in that portfolio. So it's basically... It's a game you can call it, but it's paper. It's called paper trading, paper investing, where you're not actually owning those securities, but you, in a way, you are learning. You're going through the process. You're making the decisions without having to make or potentially lose money that way. So it's a really safe way for people who, actually, students who are starting out, who want to learn but don't want to commit the capital at this point. I think that's a great point, and uh, and I've been recommending that to some of my friends as well. That's also how I started out. I. Uh, uh, you must have heard of Investopedia.com. They have their own simulator. And that's where I created my first account and invested in the market. And I invested in AMC. And then I also invested in AMC in real life at the same time as well. It went up. That's uh, how I started in finance as well. I think I invested at 250. It went up to five. So that was a 100% gain return on investment. And I was like, yeah, I think, that I, I think I found out what I want to do. But I think paper investing, uh, that's the technical term, which I didn't know about, uh, is a great idea when starting out as well. I think, I think that's a great point. You know, to that end, now, the other question that I have building off of that is what's your process when you start investing? Do you follow a top-down approach to value investing strategies? How do you go about your process? Not to give any secrets away, but... I'm sure, I'm sure people, uh, I'm not, I'm not Howard Marks or Ron Buffett, people want to be dying to hear my secrets. But anyway, I think for my my personal approach, I've been a big fan of Warren Buffett since four years, four or five years now. I've been listening, even before coming to college, I've been reading his annual reports, watching the annual meeting that takes place in Omaha every year. So my approach was to look at uh, uh, to look at companies with value. Uh, in a nutshell, I was looking at value investments, looking at companies that had good earning records but were severely underestimated by the market for one reason or the other, and buying a bunch of those uh, and waiting for the market to correct itself over the long term. But as I went along, I realized that there were a number of differences in my approach and why Warren Buffett, somebody like Warren Buffett would do that is because for him, he has 120 billion sitting and the opportunities are really different. For me, if I'm sitting on a couple thousand dollars, my universe of investing is very different. So I can be more flexible, way, way more flexible in doing that. So the way I went about it, there were a few investors that really clicked me, their ideologies, their, the, their process really clicked me. 
and I read read those books. Some of them were One Up on Wall Street. I read Peter Lynch. I read Warren Buffett's uh, annual letters. I read Howard Marks, who's a who invests in distressed securities. And their process really sp- spoke to me. And you know, you talk about how your stock went up 100%. I'm guessing AMC went up in a few weeks uh, time. My target, the, the my pick went up in like two and a half, three years. And I was so glad that it did over the long run because the way I think about investing is being patient. And obviously you've seen the slew of Robinhood traders who are looking at high returns, high losses in short amount of time. That's speculation, that's not investing. For me, it is about, you know, looking at companies for the long term, really, and not really looking at investing as betting or as, uh, you know, gambling so to speak, but it's more about doing the fundamental analysis, looking at what the company does, what their products are, looking at their financials. A company could be a great, wonderful company, could be doing the best things in the world, but if it's a price that's too high, I wouldn't invest in it. So it's a correlation between price and what you're getting. And and if that's a good, uh, that's a good combination, then I would uh, go ahead and invest in it. Not really just looking at the company because Obviously, the growth companies, people are really not looking at the financials and, you know, just go ahead and buy those companies. For me, it's the correlation between not just the company, but also the price of it. I see. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a great approach. It's a time pressure approach that worked for many people like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Peter Lynch. Uh, I've read the same books that you have. Uh, Learn to Earn, One Up on Wall Street, uh, Beating the Street by Peter Lynch, all three of them. Great books. I highly recommend them, especially for people starting out. But see, here's the thing. You talk about long-term investing and taking safe bets. A lot. If, if the company is doing well, if the financials are stable, it's going to go up over the long term. I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then what do you uh, what do you think of people that make these big shorts? You have the Bill Ackman's turning, from, turning $26 million to $2.6 billion. You had uh, the man who broke the Bank of England, George Soros. Uh, there's these people that also make millions off of, even if not millions, there's these people that stock... Uh, companies like AMC and they make uh, make uh, so much money in the short term. It's not long term investing. So do you then completely discredit that? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, as I said, there are many uh, bridges to Manhattan. Same way, there are many ways of investing as well. And one, so investing I think correlates with your temperament as well. Some people have a different temperament. They want early results. For some, <laughs> investing for years sounds senseless for some it's all about day trading and getting those early results so i think there are many many different ways of investing you talk about bill lackman obviously has a very different way of investing george horace is a different way of investing uh there are people who invest in penny stocks as well and do well as well so obviously try to look at what your you know what your sweet spot is what your temperament is there are many different ways of investing but i'd say some are more rational some are more you know time tested as you said some have a more thorough process behind them as opposed to others and then you need to really ask yourself you know which ones are you most comfortable with what's your risk profile what are returns you're okay with and things of that nature that would help you you know solidify your approach and just uh, have uh, and just use that as a as a way of going about investing you know you mentioned peter lynch and you mentioned warren buffett both of whom i would categorize as value investors like benjamin graham uh, here's the thing, though, and I've heard this argument from a couple of the people. I was talking to one person over the phone, and they said what worked for Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, uh, even Ray Dalio might not work for you, especially value investing, because the idea is that uh, is value investing dead, given the rising amount of intangibles and tech stocks, companies like TripAdvisor, Facebook, Twitter, which have a largely online presence that you can invest in. 
they don't they might not have as many and as many tangible sources that you did back in the day 60 years ago uh like like ge back when or going so uh given the rising amount of intangibles that make up the financials and balance sheets and stuff do you think value investing can still work is there something to be said about that or because of uh, robin hood traders that you pointed out as well that skew the market and stuff they're trying to play the market right it, it makes everything go out of fact and out of touch with reality do you think that's it's not going to work the way it did for one buffett 20 years ago yeah at that point i i i see the same thing as said earlier if you're pool of capital is as small as a retail investors you know several thousand dollars i think there's still opportunities definitely that would be available in the value investing world but generally speaking yeah you're right in the sense that the intangibles have continued to become a larger part of balance sheets you see uh, tech companies even though earnings may not be going up as much the stock price is doubling triple month after month during during these times and then again i think it's it's a, it's a part of probabilities and odds uh, i was reading howard marks recent uh, memo and he talks about he's a big is a big practice he's a big believer of when you're investing you want to look at the odds not just the you know just not, not just the company so i think at this point in time given where valuations stand generally speaking as he said the odds do not seem to be in the investors favor obviously we're looking at record unemployment even though it's going down a little bit but still uh this record unemployment consumer confidence is down but the stock market is the nasdaq hit an all time high and continues to do so so as an investor you look at it and see that this may not be the time to be more aggressive this may be a time to be more conservative yeah maybe march march 21st around that time point in time i remember how it marks coming out and saying that if you want to invest 100% this is a good time to go ahead and invest a portion of your of your capital given how low valuations were so there's a there's a whole lot that i said over here but my general idea is that there are a number of different ways of investing value investing obviously still works will work maybe for larger companies the opportunities may not be as readily available as it was maybe back in the 70s and 80s because companies were selling for two times earnings one and a half times earnings it may not be the case right now even during covid times companies are selling for 40 50 times earnings and even the consumer confidence is down and their sources of revenues don't seem to pick up but the market is so forward looking it's not even looking 6 months in the future it seems to be looking not one year maybe two years when covid you know covid recedes things go back to normal consumer confidence comes back so i think the the market's looking way way ahead uh, in the future and discounting everything at this point I think that's a great point. The market doesn't respond to what's happening; it responds to what it thinks will happen in the future, which is interesting. Uh, but and I and I agree with that. I think the market's looking way ahead uh, for one or two years down the road, and, and as opposed to maybe when a month or two months from now when COVID isn't isn't a problem anymore. But I think at the same time, with uh, with Nasdaq hitting as you pointed out an all-time high and the market looking as up as it is, I think a big part of that is tech stocks. They seem to be the hot stock at this point in time. Uh, I don't think that the market. If you look at companies like Boeing or even Levi's or or Canada Goose, uh, Bank of America, they're actually still very low. Uh, some of them, like Carnival Cruises, are near their all-time lows. They're not as low as they were in March, but they're not really around trading at one hundred and one fifty dollars. I think the reason why the market looks higher is because the indexes have been skewed by the tech stocks. Right. which is also why i think that because they're the hot stock they might also crash as quickly as they've gone up i personally think that there's a tech tech bubble like the housing bubble or the dot com bubble that formed in 2001 and 2000 in respect we think there's a tech bubble forming 
which is why I personally, this is speculation. I, I'm not sure yet. Uh, and I don't really know enough about the market as how it works, but that's why I've been staying away from the tech stocks at this point in time. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity out there. Don't you? What do you think of that? Yeah, definitely agree. And tech valuations have continued to become uh, higher and higher. I think one thing that does happen in the has happened in the past as well. I think is being repeated is in down in crises like these or downturns, the big companies get bigger. So the Amazons and Microsoft of the world will continue to gobble up more market share because I think when things go down, the smaller companies may not have as uh, better access to capital at favorable terms than Amazon does. So the analogy, the way I was thinking about it is that everything's underwater, right? Because of COVID, everyone's underwater, but these companies have a larger oxygen tank than everybody else. So they can continue to get through the crisis longer than the smaller players can. And when, when all is said and done, they can come out stronger than before. So in terms of relating that to valuation, I think it could be the case that they continue to gobble up more market share. They continue to you know, be the, the dominant forces in these industries and they could well come out stronger on the other side. But yeah, if they don't, and if two years as the market looking many, many years ahead, a couple of years ahead, if there's a black swan event or if there's any negative event that does happen and the recovery doesn't seem to be as smooth as the market is predicting it to be, definitely these these tech valuations could take a hit because if it's not backed by earnings at the end of the day, there's only as much speculation and bidding of prices that can go before things coming down. And that's how bubble forms, right? It seems yep. to be more overvalued than it actually is, and that's where the market goes. There's a disconnect between the reality, earnings, and the market. I think that's a great point. And the last yep. question before we move on to finishers, I know that you have to go as well, uh, is stock picking or indexes and uh, mutual funds. Which one do you recommend? Which one do you do? Yeah, even though I've been spending a lot of time reading 10Ks, 10Qs, looking at you know doing fundamental analysis, I think for the lay investor over the long term, again, if you're looking to just, you know, uh, put some money away over the long term, and even if you don't know as much, if, especially if you don't know as much about investing, the safe way could be just investing in a low cost S&P uh, 500 index where you're just betting on the US doing well over 15, 10, 20 years, which I think is a safe bet to make, as opposed to really focusing on one company and thinking that this particular company will do well than all the others and beating the market. So I think but obviously there's no there's no fun in investing in an S&P 500 index so it's a mix of what you know you're personally interested in how much time you can give to uh, researching stocks how what sort of comfortable you have what sort of risk appetite you have as well because if you have if you have like individual stocks the movement can be much higher both on the on the upside as well as in, on the down, downside if your calculation doesn't uh, isn't correct or if some external event affects affects the company so to, the, to your question, I think it's a personal preference and it's a function of how much time you have, how much interested you are, what's your risk appetite, what's your return uh, expectations. So I think based on those, uh, you could you could do that. My personal approach is to have about 30-40% in S&P 500 or Berkshire Class B and the rest 60%. Um, to invest in individual securities, but because I do find this value in it, and personally, I want to see what my what my process is like if I'm able to have a thorough uh, process in evaluating and picking stocks. And other people could have bonds, uh, could even have treasuries if they want to play it super super safe. So it's a function of what you are comfortable with. What your asset allocation portfolio diversification looks like? How much time you can uh, 
you can afford to give to the market and invest accordingly. I think that I think that's a great point for the low in, uh, lay investor. And otherwise, you were about to say something. Yeah, I think Warren Buffett. I think he really he really nails it. He a, he says it that risk comes from investing on something you don't know. So even if you invest in one stock, but you really really know the business, you you're really comfortable with. There's really less risk attached to it, but you can investing in 15 different stocks. You know little to nothing about. The risk could be higher, but conventional wisdom would tell you the more stocks you have, the safer you are, the less risk you're taking. But at the end of the day, it's about knowing what you're investing investing in. So I think there's a lot of value in 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 that in investing in what you're comfortable with. And if you if you if you don't have the time or the expertise, just go with the low cost index fund and uh, you know continue to add that day, uh, week after week, month after month. And over the long term, you will be better than people who don't invest. I think that's a great point. And one thing I would like to clarify to the listeners as well with the diversification thing that you mentioned, that conventional wisdom tends to state or, or tends to say that the more diversified you are, the safer you are. That also tapers off very quickly, though, right? Because of the the what's it called in economics, the the risk of diminishing, the law of diminishing returns. I, I'm not sure if that exactly applies, but what I'm what I'm getting at is that even when you diversify, there's only so much that you can safeguard against. It's called the financial risk of the the individual company, microeconomic, right? But from a macroeconomic standpoint, if something like COVID hits, or if there's a, there's war, nuclear war, or something like that, hopefully that never happens. But you can't safeguard against that, no matter how diversified you are, because the market in general is going to go down. I just I wanted to point that out as a disclaimer to the listeners, because I don't want anyone listening to just diversify like hell and just invest in any company that they see, because uh, just because you wanna you wanna do that with your eyes open, that even then the market can't go down, and uh, that's what happened recently, right? It doesn't matter how diversified you were. In March, everything went down. Yeah, correlations are high, even if you have 50 stocks. 500 stocks or S and P 500, the Russell 3000. You'd say the Russell 3000 and the S and P 500 more or less move in tandem with each other. Doesn't mean that if you have 3000 stocks, you're going to the market. You won't be correlated to the market. You will be still be correlated to the 500 stocks. Even 50 stocks, I think, would be very correlated to the 500 yeah. stocks, the market in general. Uh, that's about it for Han. I really, really appreciate it. That's that's uh, all the questions that I have for the day. Now, I personally have a thousand questions always. I love picking your brain in particular. Guys, I've known Farhan for a long time. The, the biggest quality that I see in him is his sincerity and his competence. He knows what he's talking about. And he has always been sincere about it. So I always love talking to you. I talk to him every other week, actually. Uh, over the phone, we talk about business, markets, uh, his love life, and uh, stuff in general. But... <laughs> The finisher that I did have before uh, we um, call today, and you get back to uh, working on the project for your supervisor or laughing at the people that are still looking for jobs. So here's the question for you. You're boarding SpaceX because Elon Musk cured the world. He solved all problems. And you're going to Mars. You may, you may never come back. And... Uh, You've achieved all that he wanted in life. You're a billionaire investment banker, all of that stuff, better than Carl Icahn, Ray Dalio. Uh, what are the three tips that you have for mankind for success, happiness, and achievement in life? What are Farhan's three tips? Yeah, obviously I'm learning as I'm going as well. I'm 22. But uh, the things that I, I focus on and try to focus on is being consistent in whatever you're doing, whether whatever your passion is, even if it's working out, you know, investing, uh, whatever, whatever it may be, just be consistent in that. Other than that, I think uh, it is about, apart from your work, I think in your personal life, it's being uh, giving time to your loved ones. I think those that goes a long way. And sometimes we 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 kind of get lost in the 
in the humdrum of life, you know, the things we're doing. So taking our time for that. And at the end of the day, even if you talk to, if you've spoken to people who are very successful in life and they look back and you ask them what's their most prized possession or what's the thing that they're most uh, most uh, proud of or, you know, they, they hold most dear, it's usually family, it's usually loved ones. And they aren't, I, I've yet to hear anybody say, oh, this is a business deal. Maybe one or two, maybe the business deal that they did or the work as much. But I think it's more about the, the personal side of life. So I think for me, it would be, and I would suggest everybody to, you know, take out time, especially in COVID-19 quarantining. I think it's a good time to reconnect with people you haven't been in touch with and, you know, giving more and more uh, time to that. I think those are two points, but I think the, the value is equal to three. So I'll keep it at that. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I won't uh, hold you to three then. I think those are two great points as well, and I agree with them. Yeah. Um, and finally, what are the books that you recommend for anyone to listen to for success in life, investing, business, whatever, your top three books? or just any top books and investors that people can just learn about for success yeah. in finance. Two yeah, things. I'll, yeah, I'll stick to finance and books or the even podcasts or some of them that I mentioned, you know, just some sources of information and knowledge. Uh, I'd say for reading, you can read Workshare Hathaway's annual letters, which date back to early 70s, even 65, if you look at his uh, partnership. Uh, those letters, Howard Marks uh, writes uh, his memos routinely. You can read those, especially in the crisis era. It's really helpful to get those those perspectives, uh, perspectives, and you know, just keeping your your focus. I think those 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 uh, uh, memos really help. In terms of books, I think you you uh, mentioned them. One up on Wall Street. If you want, if you're a big value investor, definitely read uh, Benjamin Graham, uh, his two books, Security Analysis and uh, uh, The Intelligent Investor. Chapter eight, as Buffett says, is really important. Mr. Market, um, focus on that. And just know that investing is as much as about patience and having a stomach for it as much as it is about, uh, you know, thinking and making reasoned uh, calculations and, uh, you know, choices. And any names, any investors that people can learn from? Uh, uh, investors that have been your mentors when you look at the, look at the market? Charlie Munger is a big one. I think even beyond investing, just getting those wisdoms about wisdom about life, how to go about life, having you know having a cheater disposition, and just how to go through life. Uh, Charlie Munger, I think, has been a great uh, mentor, and I've learned a lot through his readings and his uh, his, his uh, interviews. Warren Buffett, Howard Marks. I think these three, in terms of finance, I found really interesting. And other ones, which you know, there are certain things I've picked up. Uh, Bill Ackman, as you said, I think his some of his uh, trades have been really interesting. So I've I've seen some of those as well. But I'd focus on the first three that I that I mentioned. If nothing else, uh, from Charlie Munger, I recommend just learning how you can live to be 96 years old. That's that's uh, crazy. Yeah, and continue uh, to do what you love doing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh. -huh. uh yeah, the key is to love what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Farhan, that's really about it for the day. Uh, uh, guys, uh, you, you're listening to Farhan Sadiq. Um, I, I'm, that's Sadiq. Uh, I feel like people have mispronounced his last name a couple of times because they still mispronounce my name as well. Uh, but my guest today was Farhan Sadiq. Again, uh, he recently graduated. He's working at... Uh, he is working at CMG Capital Markets Gateway in Chicago. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out for Han to, talk, to just uh, guide the listeners, talk to me, share your wisdom, and just uh, help us keep tabs on another up-and-comer. 
You guys are listening to AJK Health, Fitness, and Business. My name is Ali Khan. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And my email is akhan at fandm.edu. That's akhan at fandm.edu. Be sure to reach out. Give me pointers, directions, anything and everything. As long as it's constructive criticism would be appreciated. Uh, that's about it, guys. That's all we have in store. And I will... Um, reach out to you again. By the way, next week I'll have Reed Rablado, who is a personal trainer and aspiring med school student. He wants to be a doctor. Come on next week. And we're going to talk to him about the physical fitness side of things and his experience as a personal trainer, med school student, and his motivations going forward. Uh, thank you guys. I really appreciate it.